Hello, faithful viewers, and welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, this is, I believe, episode number six. I should probably have known that. It is indeed. There we go. I, <laughs> I had no confidence in my own abilities, and I should have. Yes, this is episode six uh, of the podcast. <laughs> Apologies if I sound a little bit offish. I've not been feeling uh, too great, but it's not too bad. Just if I feel a little sluggish, uh, that might be why, but I'll soldier on. Um, but as you know by now, if you've been listening, I... I don't do this on my own. Um, I, I'm always joined by a special guest. Uh, and today I'm joined by one of the nicest and sweetest people I've, I've had Twitter communication with. Uh, so special guest, why wouldn't you introduce yourself and uh, take it from there? <laughs> Hi, it's nice to be here. I'm Julianne. I live in Colorado in the United States. And we were just talking about what a gorgeous day it is. Yeah, it is where, uh, where Julianne is. It's not so good where I am, unfortunately, here in the UK. But uh, you know, it's it's getting to that time of year, autumn slash fall, where it gets to be quite cozy because it gets dark early, and I do enjoy snuggling up and sticking on Doctor Who or Star Trek episodes <laughs> to watch. So, but uh, yeah, so thanks uh, thanks for agreeing to join us, Julianne, and uh, for I think just spreading Starfleet morality and all of the good things on Twitter because I always see you being nice to everyone and spreading positivity, which is why I, I wanted to invite you to to come and join us. Um, oh, thank you so much. No problem at all. So if there's any new listeners, the sections will basically go in the episode as follows. Section one is effectively a getting to know you where I ask my guest, in this case, Julianne, um, her kind of personal connections with Star Trek history, some of her favorites and, and the like. Uh, the second section is what the podcast is named for. It's the hit or miss section where I basically throw out just random things from anywhere in the Star Trek franchise that um, Julianne has no idea what they'll be and quickly ask if uh, if she thinks they're a hit or a miss and the reasons why, then I say, in my opinion, we debate back and forth if necessary and uh, take it from there to get a sort of consensus, I guess. And uh, then after that, we'll lead into the review. Uh, and the review this week is an episode of Star Trek Picard. Uh, we're back in the Kurtzman era uh, and it's the episode Nepenthe. I almost said from season one there, but that's redundant because there's currently only one <laughs> season. So there you go. But, uh, yeah, I think it's episode seven of the currently only existing season. Um, so yeah, if uh, if that's all good with everyone, I will carry us on then and I'll move into section one, uh, which is the section that I call healing frequencies open. So uh, don't be nervous, Julianne, but this is basically, as I said, a kind of getting to know you where I'll ask just random questions about your experiences and your history with Star Trek. Uh, so okay. the first... Uh, the first question is, what was it that kind of drew you into the Star Trek universe for the first time? And if you can remember, what was the first episode you watched where you thought, oh, I'm going to keep watching this? Uh, the first episode I ever watched was The Cage. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Yes. And I watched it when I was probably eight years old or so. Oh, wow. Um, Star Trek was on after school in between a couple of shows that I liked to watch after school. I didn't care about Star Trek, right. but it was in the middle, so I didn't turn the TV off. And I remember watching The Cage and thinking um, that it was really interesting. It was really different than anything I had seen. And, um, and I liked the concept and I liked the characters. And I thought the people with the giant heads were hilarious. 
<laughs> and um, and so then the next day when it was on, I actually watched it. I paid attention. And that's when I first started watching Star Trek. So that had to be about 1973, 74. Wow, that's epic. <laughs> Weirdly, um, <laughs> I, I'm, my story isn't, uh, it's a little few years later than that, but it's more or less the same. I've, I've went through it in the past, so I'll not um, just go over it over and over again. But yeah, my first episode that I really remember watching was also The Cage, but it was probably in around 1991-ish. Uh, which wow. is the first uh, the first time it was really available here, and I was probably around eleven years old. Um, which I say it was the first episode I really watched because my mum was a huge original series fan, and she always had it on in the background on like Sunday afternoons, or um, she had a few videotapes that she would play. So I had sort of seen some in passing, but I wasn't like you. I kind of didn't think much of it. It was just always there, uh, right. and then. I remember the excitement because the cage was sort of brand new released to VHS. So when that came, she was excited to watch and I sat and watched with her and thought it was brilliant. So I always think it's a, it's kind of weird that that's at least a couple of us that were hooked in with an episode that the actual network was like, nah, nobody's going to be yeah. on board for this show. Exactly. Exactly. I think, and I've talked to several people who that was the hook for them yeah. was the yeah. cage. Yeah. It's bizarre, isn't it? When you think that goes to show how, how little the networks probably understand about these things. So yeah, oh, well, that's, uh, that's awesome. So, um, so if you had to pick sort of a favorite series then out of the entire franchise, would it still be the original or is there any later one that's taken your, your passion? No, your heart? My, my favorite series is uh, next generation. That's the oh, one um, that I connected with as an adult. Um, right. So that was the one that, um, really solidified my, what do I want to say, my, my trekkiness. Yes, um, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, I watched Deep Space Nine and Voyager and everything after that. Um, okay. The only one that I haven't seen is the animated series. And I'm working my way through, right now I'm working my way through the original series again, which I have mm -hmm. to say hits completely differently as an adult. It does, um, yeah. <laughs> so we, that's really weird because I'm also doing exactly that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And for this, for the same reason that I just started a big rewatch, and I've never seen the whole of the animated series either. So I'm hoping to get to it and then be able to watch through it. Oh yeah. So, yeah. I mean, all these people on on Trek Twitter have been watching, you know, doing rewatches, and I've never mm -hmm. really done a um like a serious sit down and watch every episode kind of rewatch. So, so I'm going to do that now. I'm working my yeah. way through. Yeah. As I say, I'm doing the same thing. I started, but weirdly I decided to do it chronologically in universe. So it's actually uh -huh. quite a ways away because I've been through like all four seasons of enterprise and the first two seasons of discovery. And now I'm about to hit the third season of the original series. So um, I don't wow. know why I decided to why I decided to do it that way. I just thought, oh, I wonder if it works in universe if you watch it according to their timeline, and it kind of does. That would be really interesting. It would yeah. be really interesting. I know that many of the episodes in the original series are out of chronological order. Yeah, um, I I, I um, actually accommodated for that because I'm that geeky that I looked up the production order. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not watching them on the order they are on the Blu-ray discs. I'm actually finding the episode in question so as I can that's, go fully in order. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I wish I'd known about that before I started. Um, ah. 
but um, it'd be interesting if somebody could put together <laughs> a full comprehensive list of this is how it is in chronological order through all of the series. I think it exists. I'm sure it exists somewhere online, but I, uh, I can't no. tell you where. Because I, I I know there's there's ex lists that exist for the chronology of um, like Doctor Who and the uh, the DC oh, Comics sure. Arrowverse and stuff. So somebody will have written it somewhere, I'm sure. Somewhere, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's cool. So no, um, so then the, the next question that I always ask everyone is potentially a little bit daunting, but I've had some interesting answers. And it is, if you had to pick three episodes uh, across the entire franchise that exemplify the best of Trek uh, that you think are the, the absolute pinnacle or that you would show to somebody who'd never seen the show before to sort of show the best that it could do, what would be the three episodes that you would pick? And uh, I'll let you know now, because we hadn't established before last week, two-parters, I will count as one, just one story. Oh, okay. so. Okay, so yeah, my first one would be um, the two-parter of the best of both worlds from Next Generation. That's cool. Um, yeah. I feel like that is that's sort of a definitive um, Trek world episode. Yeah. Um, and I think another one would be, um, and this one, I always question myself for loving this episode, but the visitor from DS9. Why would you question that? It's hugely popular and it's a fantastic episode. It is hugely popular. <laughs> but I guess I guess as someone, you know, if you're introducing Trek to someone new. Right. I see. Would that be an episode that you'd want them to watch? I mean, I feel like it shows so much of the of the heart of Deep Space Nine. I think um, it would work. I think the performances would carry you through. Uh, yeah. To be honest, so I, I would personally, yeah, I, I fully endorse that choice. Yeah, I love that one. And then um, another one that I really like. Oh, this is hard. Another <laughs> one that I really like is from Discovery. I really like the episode um, "Context is for Kings." Oh, from awesome! The, from the first uh, season of Discovery. Yeah. I struggled getting into Discovery at first. Mm. I watched, you know, probably the first three episodes and then I turned it off because it didn't feel like Star Trek to me. Ah. A friend of mine said, go back and watch it and stick with it. And and now that I have, that's really one of my favorite episodes because I feel like that um, gives us a real um, foreshadowing into what's happening in the Discovery world. Yes, and um, I just think I think it's a great episode, and Jason Isaacs is fantastic. He's great, in that yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, yeah. Again, it's going to sound like I'm just copying, but I, I, again, I went into it last week that I had similar thoughts on Discovery the first time around. Um, I mm -hmm. still don't think the first season is the strongest, but the first time I watched it, and again, I said this to my guest Rick last week, I watched it and was like, I don't like the show because it's not Starfleet enough. And then when I reached the end, I was like, oh, that was the point. Right, right. It totally makes sense when you get through it. But first I was yeah. like, oh, a Starfleet captain would never act like that. <laughs> well, that was that was interesting. So no, uh, do you have any other episodes that you think would be um, honorable mentions that you couldn't quite include? Because uh, a couple of our guests have said that and then listed a sort of a, a big list of about six or seven. You know, honestly, I love Endgame from Voyager. That oh, was that's that's a fantastic ending. Um, and I, I remember that one just hitting real hard the first time I watched it. Yeah, I don't um, think that gets enough credit for having to, the, the landing that it had to stick to kind of give a satisfying conclusion to that seven years, that if it had gone wrong, it would have been 
disastrous and I don't think he gets enough credit for managing to land that so perfectly. So yeah, exactly, I agree. exactly. I don't know if you know, I'm a piano teacher. Oh, no, so no. I always tell my students, make sure you nail the last chord because yes. then nothing will matter. Nothing yes. else, no mistakes that you made will matter as long as you nail the last chord. And it's the same thing with this. If you nail the finale, all the other mistakes kind of, you know, sort of disappear. Uh, well, I'll move us to the next section now because uh, we've done a little bit of a getting to know you thing and uh, there were some good choices there. I like that. So oh, thank um, you. The, uh, the next section is the hit or miss section where, as I've said, uh, you'd have no idea what I'm going to spit out at you here, but I'm just going to say things from anywhere in Trek because I know you've seen kind of the entire franchise uh, and see if you think they're a hit or a miss. Okay. Uh, and I'll just dive straight in and say that the very first thing this week is the character of Lal, uh, Data's daughter. I'm probably pronouncing that terribly, but yes, Data's android daughter from TNG season three. Lal, hit or miss? Yeah. <laughs> uh, hit. Definitely hit. It was, okay. um, for me, that was a really um, important episode mm. leading into what's happening in Picard. Yes. But I also felt like it was such um, a humanizing effort for Data, you know, to make an android seem human because he was able to procreate. Yes. Um, and I just, I felt like it was a beautiful episode. It was heartbreaking that she mm. did not survive. And, um, and the almost sadness that you could see in data at the end mm -hmm. again heartbreaking because he can't really show that emotion but oh my gosh he got so close yeah see i and i'm exactly the same i think lol and the general idea is a massive hit it's one of my favorite episodes for almost all the same reasons that you you've said there i think it's it's one of the best written because the emotional impact is just spot on um mm -hmm. i always remember the line because it pierced my heart and still does when data says that he can't he's, he's sad he can't feel um the loss of lal and she responds mm -hmm. that she'll feel it for both of them i was like oh, oh that is absolute, it's perfect writing but my word it just shatters your heart when you hear it doesn't it but, yes exactly yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah and i also i, I do kind of like the idea that the ending is almost a metaphor for kind of how you deal with losing um loved ones and not that i've lost a child or whatever but the idea that well they live on in your memory becomes mm -hmm. a very literal sort of thing with uh, with yeah. data it's like, I will be okay because her memories are now part of me. Um, right. Which, again, I always love when sci-fi can use bizarre outlandish concepts to basically tell something very human and emotional. So, yeah. Right, right. Um, yeah. So did you have any other thoughts on Lal or we're we just going to say a great hit for that episode? <laughs> oh, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> awesome. Uh, the second thing on my list for today is uh, a Voyager character. It's the character of Naomi Wildman, hit or miss. Oh, I love Naomi. I really like her. I felt again like she was um she was a character that made the rest of the crew feel grounded. Um that was one of the things that I loved in Next Generation as well as when they had children in the episode because I think it it made it you understood that these weren't just people out in space. They were families. Yes, you know, yeah. we had to, they had to look out for each other in a different way than it would be if it were just, you know, a bunch of astronauts on a ship, you know? Absolutely. And I think that relates back to what you were saying about the episode, The Visitor. Like, I think what carries you through is that we can all universally understand 
the relationship between a father and a son, even if yes. we don't understand the sci-fi trappings behind it. Um, so right. I'm completely with you. Yeah, I think as soon as you get family and you're actually dealing with that kind of thing, again, yes. it does it grounds you and humanizes you, and it gives the audience some identifier that isn't just like, well, I don't know what the heck warp drive is or what these weird bumpy-headed aliens are. So that's, that's a good way to introduce people, I think, as well. Right. It can bring people in who don't necessarily think that they love sci-fi. And I can think of some other sci-fi shows that have no children. And it just it's just different. It's very much about the sci-fi. And I feel like these are these um, series are more about the characters and the relationships and the families and, and the universal things that we all experience, you know? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I would say the same. I'm slightly less enthusiastic, but I would still say that Naomi's a hit. Uh, my only sort of issues, I guess, with the character are the cool kind of um, th the fact that she was aged artificially fast to kind of get to where you needed to be for the story. Yes, um, yes. But, you know, I recognize it was necessary, but it's still a little bit sort of oof. It's the right. uh, int introducing the sort of long lost cousin to the sitcom kind of trope almost, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Modern Family. They did that. I am. I love that. Seasons. Yeah. She went from a baby to a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of shows are guilty of it. But no, that's one of my issues. But my other issue, my only other issue, I guess, with the character is that we don't see a lot of her mother, um, which I don't love as a kind of like, I, I, I get the point. She's busy and whatever. And the whole point is that this is kind of a, the ship or the family. And I think that's why the character was introduced because I think Voyage is the series that feels the most to me like, they're not just people who work together. They are actually a family um, yes. because they kind of have no choice. There's nobody around them to, you know, they, they are the entirety of Starfleet. So they have to bond, I guess, on that level. Um, yes. So I think the yeah. fact that there's there's a kid, I think uh, it, it, it emphasizes that family aspect quite nicely. But again, it would have been nice if they could have given her mom a bit more of a role to show the actual you know, the more traditional, I guess, side of the what a family is and, and the caregivers right. and all that. Um, In but, fact, yeah. I have to say to that, um, I forgot that her mom was even on it. I thought that her mom <laughs> had passed away. When I no, went back no. and watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, she didn't die, did she? <laughs> no, she just disappears. I mean, she's in the, the first uh, the first couple of seasons, she's pregnant with, uh, with Naomi and you see her, the character then and then yeah, she just doesn't appear for the entire rest of the show, which again right. is very, very odd. But uh, anyway, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like that idea. I think uh, Voyager kind of saw what it was doing there and kind of copied it a little bit with the Borg children as well, which was yeah. like, we, yeah. we need a family perspective. But right. anyway, that's a, that's a hit or miss for another time, I guess. The next thing on my list, uh, a character from Discovery, and it's the character of Jet Reno, a hit or a miss. I love Jet Reno. <laughs> she cracks me up. I just think she is such a nice um, comic relief. Um, but at the same time, I just think she is brilliant. She's, um, um, she can be incredibly deep at moments. Yes. Um, and I love her. I love her. I agree. Um, this is going to sound just like a love fest again, but yeah, completely agree. I think uh, I think it's it's quite obvious the character is basically just Tignataro, uh, you know, yes, <laughs> transplanted. Yes. But that, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so that's good. Nope, so, um, nope. I, I love it. I yeah. love it. I do like having that character who's not disrespectful, but slightly less reverent for the whole sort of yes. thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, just a little bit sick of this crap. It's, it's almost, I guess, like some of the, Greater characters like Dr. McCoy and the like, who are like, look, 
I, I'll follow the rules, but you know, I'm grumpy about it. You know what I mean? Right, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah. and hilarious about it. I just yeah. think she's so funny. one of my favorite moments of hers is when she goes into the sick bay with a um, with a what was it? Was it a splinter or a hangnail or something? I think one of those two. <laughs> to talk to the doctor about his relationship with Stamets, and mm. I loved that. I just loved it because she used such a clever it was just such a clever way to to get deep with him when he wouldn't go there with anyone else loved I, actually, it. I was i was just about to say the same i think the character not that she would have been bad if she was just kind of the funny kind of grumpy character because she would be great anyway but the fact mm -hmm. that you got a scene like that where she basically gets to have this fantastic emotional scene with with wilson cruz and the two of them just act their socks off to each other and get right mm -hmm. to the heart of the emotional matter and they're talking as well. Again, it should really go without saying, but they're completely normalizing that they're talking about two gay relationships and it's just never addressed as a thing. It's just right. literally right. love, love is what just, it is. You know? <laughs> it's just a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. But having said that, just to take things completely away from the whole emotional thing, her best moment is still when uh, I think it's Captain Pike is trying to force her off the bridge. And she says, I'm going, I'm going, get off my ass. And then catches herself and goes, sir, get off my ass, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still be respectful, but I will say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's great. She's awesome. Oh, well, that's great. Uh, this is going to be just a mad uh, load of hits, I guess. But we'll see. <laughs> We've got another three or four left. So I'll go to the next one. And the next thing is uh, related a little bit to the uh, episode we're reviewing, or certainly the series, uh, and it's the the Rios holograms, as we see them in Picard. Uh, are they a hit or a miss for you? Okay, again, a hit. Sorry, I love everything. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that? I have very few misses, but I love the holograms. I hmm. love them, and I think it's just a great, um, it's a great opportunity for him to show off his his acting ability yes, um and the holograms serve such different purposes but they're all so much the same and mm. i love them i love all the different accents i love when they're all in the room together and they're all doing the same thing at the same time yeah i awesome. i love them Awesome. Uh, and again, I'm I'm going to be the same as you and say it's a hit. So I'm also going to sound just uh, <laughs> slightly sycophantic. But one of the things I, it's one of the things I like about Picard is those holograms, and uh, it's because of what you say. It gives a chance to show off um, Santiago Cabrera's acting range. But also, yes. in a, in a weird way, I think I actually find the holograms more likable than actual Captain Rios. It's <laughs> like... true. It's totally true. They are <laughs> so much more likable. He is so cranky. Yeah, it's, it's kind of I I can't super relate to the kind of badass kind of um you know maverick almost Han Solo esque kind of captain yeah. character that he is, but I can definitely relate to the kind of put upon uh whether it be a doctor or a leisure whatever it is they call him the leisure yes. facilitator or whatever I can yes. relate a lot more to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, hospitality. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I just like the idea that. It never even occurred to me when watching Voyager that they would establish emergency holograms for things other than medical. So, of course, they have an emergency engineering hologram and a hospitality hologram. And I just love Oh, it's brilliant. Idea, yeah. It's brilliant. Why would you not? Exactly. Yeah. And finally, I just love that they give them all fun, funky names to do with the abbreviation. So the EMH becomes Emil because, you know, EM. <laughs> it's like, right, right. At least they've named them in 
these fun kind of ways as well. So, yeah. I love anyway. it. I love it. <laughs> uh, we may hit a slight snag here, but we'll see if we keep on with the hits. When okay. I move on to the next thing, this thing is the USS Enterprise as seen in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek 2009. Hit or miss. Okay, you know what? I mm. love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know. I'm a fan of the lens flare. So, um, yeah, I love, I told you, I love it all. That's I, love, I love the J.J. Abrams Kelvin universe. I love it. Um, I, yeah, I love the, the Enterprise. I think it's a gorgeous ship. I, it's gorgeous. I, I want to be on it. I want to live there. <laughs> well, that's, that's a given in any, in any Star Trek. <laughs> there are, there are a couple scenes I have to say that seem very, um, okay. When, um, when Scotty is, is beamed to the ship and ends up in the water tube. Oh yeah, the, oh, I can't. Not and so all I can think is, why? Why is that water tube there? What? What is? It's, what is the purpose except for this moment of drama? You know, because, yeah, <laughs> that's one of the things that bugs me is that for the engineering section they filmed in a brewery and just didn't change it. And my words, you can tell because it looks nothing <laughs> like the engineering of the starship. So as you say, it's right. just pipes and and things everywhere spreading liquid and you're like what's that gonna do with anything oh, yeah. no, I, <laughs> that's my uh, I, still, I still love it i love oh, it i mean i'm not uh, i'm not gonna say it's the worst thing in the history of the world but i will say i think the jj abrams enterprise is a, is a miss for me slightly if only because i just don't think it redesigned it to look enough like the enterprise if that makes sense yeah. like I, I get yeah. that it's there but it's way too much of a departure and I would say, oh, I guess that's what you have to do to make it look cool and modern. But then Discovery made something absolutely perfect that did just that and looks, you know, mm. almost exactly like the original ship. So it is possible. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not that I think it's the worst thing ever. If it was just an, a, a ship that turned up, I would think, oh, cool ship design. You know, it's almost like the Constitution class. But I just don't right. think it looks, uh, it looks enterprising. Because enough. it's the enterprise, yeah. 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 Um, but again, that's probably more to do with emotional impact. And uh, yeah, as I say, in, interior-wise, though, I just don't love that everything looks like an Apple store. It's all clean and white. And, <laughs> and then, like I said, engineering is just a brewery with no attempt to disguise it. So Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but lest anybody thinks I'm just entirely negative, I will say, though, in terms of ship designs, that for whatever reason, I really love the Enterprise A, which appears for like five minutes at the end of Star yeah. Trek Beyond yeah. in the Kelvin yeah. universe. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, I I love everything in the Kelvin universe, and I know that that's an unpopular opinion, but no, I no, no, no. do. <laughs> I, I I still watch them, and there's things I like, there's things I dislike, like there is with a lot of Treks. I certainly wouldn't say I dislike them like a huge level, and I love 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 Star Trek Beyond. It's it's in my top films. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I don't think we're gonna necessarily hit on anything that you dislike, uh, and I almost kind of hope not as we head yeah. into the into the final one for today, because this final one is a character, uh, and it's the character of Janice Rand, hit or miss. Janice. Yes. Okay, you know what? What's that? Miss. Oh! It's a miss for me. Yeah, I am Janice. shocked. I know. <laughs> I never could figure out what she was there for other than to look pretty and have weird hair. You right? know? Okay. I just, I, I felt like, and this is one of my struggles with the original series, is I hate the treatment of women. I hate yeah. it. 
I hate it, hate it, hate it. Um, and Janice Rand to me was one of those, um, just the, the placement of her as no. yeoman made no sense to me, made I no sense, except that she wore a short skirt and had, you know, woven hair. Yeah. It was weird. It was just weird. It was very, very 60s, as you're saying. It was very much, yes, uh, yes. you know, a man in position of power has, you know, sexy bimbo secretary kind of thing, I guess. Yes. Um, yes. But, yeah, I, I personally think the character is a hit. Not to, not to get into an argument, but um, I, I like the character, but I think it's more that I like the actress because I think Grace Lee Whitney did a lot with a little oh. in that in that first season. Um, yes. And I think yeah. uh, when she gets a chance to kind of show a bit of range, she does a really good job. So thinking of episodes like uh, Miri, for example, which she's really yeah. good in, um, and when she's not just, as you say, because you're completely right, when she's not just kind of, you know, strutting around the bridge, wiggling in front of the captain or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's better Delivery when she gets... Delivering cups of coffee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I have the support I, for you. Yeah. Honestly, that is my issue. It's not yeah. with it's not with Grace Lee Whitney because she's fantastic and she's yeah. lovely. And yeah, yeah. Um, I just don't like the treatment of women in that first series. I just don't like it. Uh, I completely agree with you. But uh, yeah, so speaking of, of Rando as well, um, I did like that at least they brought her back in the movies and gave her her, her dues and gave her some proper actual yes. jobs yeah. and things to do. True. So um, yeah. Having her as the communications officer on the Excelsior, I think, was a really nice touch, and it was really nice to see yep. her again. So, yep. Um, yep, way better than delivering cups of coffee. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, she'd, she'd be barking up the wrong tree if she was trying to seduce Sulu, but that's again, neither here nor there. For sure, for sure. <laughs> anyway. But, oh uh, my yeah. goodness! Well, uh, yeah, that's that's all I had for the hit or miss section this week. But I oh, think that's it was, great! It was mostly positive, and we had a good uh, little discussion. And as I said, I'm I don't sorry, think... sorry that I like everything. I just I no, like it's everything. fine. Uh, every time, <laughs> every time I have the discussions, it's it's mostly positive. But even when people dislike things, the people that I sort of have communicated with that I've uh, talked Star Trek with, they're not people that are like, I hate this and it ruins everything. It's like I don't like <laughs> it, but fair enough. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I doubt there could be anything that would ruin it for me. No, I'm the same. I mean, it's it's Star yeah. Trek at the end of the day. We love it for all the reasons. <laughs> so I'll move us to uh, move us to the next section then, uh, just to to move on into the main bulk of the review, and we'll begin analysis. Uh, and as I said, this uh, this review this week is the episode Nepenthe. Just quickly before we get into it, did you have any kind of spoiler-free first thoughts on the episode, uh, Julianne Nepenthe? <laughs> Spoiler-free? Absolutely not. I okay. love this episode. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Love it. It's so beautiful, and I want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely want to live on Nepenthe. That looks really yes. awesome. Yes. Just a nice, it's quiet, cool. like, country. Uh, oh, it's just amazing, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> it kind of looks like where I live, actually. So. Oh, yeah. now I am jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Except we don't have any mountains that arch like that. Okay, fair enough. And I'm guessing um, you have less trouble with the Kazinti. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Much, much less trouble. That was such a great um, reference that I completely trouble missed. trouble with other people, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in that, that reference I totally missed until I read about it somewhere, that the Riker says we have trouble with the Kazinti and put shields up. I was like, oh, wow. Um, you may not know who they are if you haven't seen the animated series, actually. Just uh, forgive the ignorance that I just assumed you would. But, yeah, we had cat people from the animated series and uh, Larry Niven's sci-fi works. <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh, I have to go catch up on all that. 
Yeah, it's a random throwaway reference, but it was one of those things where I didn't hear it, and then when I read it, it was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Why don't Why don't we see that? <laughs> I'll watch a season of uh, I'll watch a season of Captain Riker fending off the weird cat aliens. <laughs> why not? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so I've, what I do, I, I've kind of got like um, almost chronological notes about the episode. Uh, okay. And I'll just hit them sort of piece by piece and you can kind of chime in with any thoughts, any disagreements right. or right. anything I've skipped over or may have missed. Uh, not that there's probably okay. much, but there you go. <laughs> so I'll start us on uh, the very first thing that's worth seeing is that obviously there's a previously on Star Trek mo montage uh, because this is very much one link story as most modern kind of um, television of any kind, I guess, is. But certainly the modern Star Treks. Uh, right. So I do think, unfortunately, that you couldn't really just jump into this episode without context. Which is a shame because I think it's um, it's a great one for the sort of the next generation characters. If you were to watch that show and then just jump to this episode, but unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't think you could. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, and uh, we start actually without any of the familiar characters. So we start back on Earth at the Daystrom Institute, uh, where we oh. see uh, Doctor Girardi being approached by Commodore O. Uh, which I remember because it was hugely controversial amongst some people who just look for things to complain about that she was wearing sunglasses. <laughs> oh, like... I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of all the complaints to make, it was so stupid. And, for Pete's uh, sake. Yeah. Like as if it makes a difference, but then people were like, she's a Vulcan. She has an inner eyelid. And it turned out she was a Romulan. So ha, in your yeah. face. <laughs> and it's still sunny. It's still sunny exactly, in the yeah. century. So calm down. Exactly. Like, why don't they have? Why do they still need sunglasses? Because it still has a sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, what I will say a little bit of editorializing. I really like there's some kind of ongoing intrigue uh, at play here. So it's kind of um, it's setting up that there's something sinister, I guess, going on with the Commodore. And when she's um, mind melding with Girati, and she kind of immediately yes. vomits, and she looks truly changed and like shocked, uh, mm -hmm. and. I do think Alison Pill here is exceptional at the kind of wordless, just showing nerves and fear and how comforting it is. <laughs> she is so perfect, especially in this episode. This episode, mm -hmm. she hits every, every right note as far yeah. as her range of emotion goes. Yeah. Yes. She's an actress I've known for a little while, and I do think she's very good. I've, I've seen her in American Horror Story, and she was in Scott Pilgrim versus the World and, and various bits, but I think she's a very good actress, so she's one of the ones yeah. I'm glad glad we've got. Not not overly fond of the decision to make her into a murderer later in the series, but that's, right, I guess right. that's neither here nor there, and hopefully at least we'll deal with the repercussions of that in season two. Right. Um, but yeah, so the next scene is, uh, it's back on the, the artifact, I believe it's called. It's basically the ball cube yes. run by Romulans. Uh, and I've said here that um, the actress Peyton List, uh, which is confusing, mm -hmm. by the way, because there are two actresses called Peyton List, <laughs> which is <laughs> one of those things that's just bugged me because I follow sort of a lot of TV and film. And so every time I see Peyton List listed, I'm never sure if it's the brunette or the blonde one, which is about the only oh, thing I can funny. <laughs> You'd think one of them would at least add a middle initial or something, but anyway. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But... But yeah, I, I did say that I think Peyton List, the brunette version, is a very convincing femme fatale type. Uh, mm -hmm. who I think, to put it kindly, I think she's just over the top enough with how broad she plays it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. She kind of she has to be this arch villain, uh, and you have yeah. to be in no doubt that there's any real kind of depth or humanity or Romulanity, I guess, to us. <laughs> or, yeah. But, uh, Again, this this is just a geeky spot, but I noticed uh, the ship that Narek takes, the snakehead, is a really cool design. 
and that's available now from Eagle Moss. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <I'm curious. laughs> Operator standing by. <laughs> this is this podcast is not sponsored, but Eagle Moss, if you did want to throw me some money, I mean. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, uh, I do like that. Um, for, for all that she's kind of portrayed as this evil, you know, witch of a character, she still points out that her hands are tied by the Federation Treaty, so she can't like do anything to Hugh. I guess at that point, um, right? So she's she's bound by these Star Trek laws, which I kind of like. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, seeing Elnor has kind of decided to help, I think, is a very Trek hero kind of moment as well. And it's nice that that, as that kind of is revealed, you get the Picard theme uh, mixed with the next gen theme, almost playing in the music to kind yes. of signify the moment, which I like. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Elnor just comes across to me like a Star Trek version of, um, oh, who's that? The elf from The Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Legolas, Legolas. Yeah. he is he is the future Legolas. Oh, yeah, I said that on a previous episode. I said that the character of Elno isn't so much a Star Trek character as just the writers of Picard decided they wanted to write an elf and came up with a really <laughs> flimsy excuse <laughs> and was like, "Well, Romulans have pointy ears," you know. <laughs> and I love him. I love him. <laughs> he, I'm he, I'm kind of hot and cold on him, but I love the idea of. As I'm watching it back now, because this is only like the second time that I've rewatched Picard, as I'm watching it back now, I realize I actually really do love the general idea of the, I can't remember the name, whatever the organization is that he's with. Um, that the uh, only. Kuwat Malat, that's the one. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> uh, I love that they'll only fight for a hopeless cause because I think there's something yeah. very kind of powerful and, and exciting about that from a, a viewer perspective, watching a kind of hero show. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, it gives you that cool moment, a slight spoiler alert, but later on when kind of Hugh has been dispatched, shall we say, and Elnor has to take the mission on and Hugh literally says to him, yes. how's this for a lost cause? Which yeah. I think is, yeah. gives you that excellent, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> well, and here's how I see Elnor's character. And stay with me here for a minute. If okay. you're a fan of Next Generation, mm-hmm. think of how Worf was raised. Worf oh. was raised on Earth. You know, he comes from a warrior race, but he's raised by by basically people he doesn't know. He is an orphan um, and then suddenly is thrown into, you know, these battle situations where, yeah. where he, he has this instinct, this killer instinct that he really hasn't been able to exercise before. You know, so then I look at Elner's character being raised... Um, in this kind of women warrior circle thing. Mm. And um, and so to me, he is he's kind of a a new iteration of Worf in a in a little bit different way. But yeah, but that's how I kind of see his journey. And you know, yeah. So that's something uh, that, something I hadn't considered, but now that you say it, it actually does make a lot of sense and it does give a bit extra I guess depth to that character and his place yeah. on that crew, um, and yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's um, sure. I, I only ever saw it as like, well, they're clearly trying to give Picard a surrogate son, um, which we've tried before, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I see him more of a Worf character. You know, yeah. Worf was very young when he joined. Um, when he was the first season of Star Trek: Next Generation, mm-hmm. Worf was only supposed to be twenty-four years old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, so Elmer's very young. He's, what, 17, 18, 19, somewhere in there. 
So that's yeah. kind of how I see that is as the young warrior who needs that surrogate father yes. to kind of teach him, okay, here's the right time to use it. And here's not the right time to use it. Yeah. And I, I'm on, if, if they develop the character that way and it becomes like a Romulan version of Worf, I'd love to see that. So I'm kind of, yeah. now that yeah. you've said that, I'm very much on board to see <laughs> how they go. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so yeah, carrying on into the episode anyway, um, they obviously let the La Serena go, uh, which is clearly to follow them, <laughs> which uh, I would kind of hope that the crew would be a little bit more suspicious of this, but I yeah. guess they're not a Starfleet crew and they just want to get out of there, so we'll forgive it. Um, and that's <laughs> just basically your, your lead into the credits, of which I only have one thing to say with the credits. Uh, I am disgusted that the special guest star listed is Jonathan Frakes and not Marina Sirtis. Like, what's up with that? Why is I she not got it? Yeah, I've remembered it the first time. I was yeah, oh. I usually I, tune out during the credits, so I didn't even ah. notice that. Oh, yeah, I did. I know that's I, a I, miss. That is a miss. Yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> it's a pretty huge level of sexism on display, and I don't see why they couldn't have credited them both. Yeah. To be but Man. yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it always jars with me when I watch the episode. I'm like. Oh. Because to me, Diana has more to do, frankly, than Riker in the episode as well. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodness. Anyway, um, the, t the next notes I have are basically stuff we've already talked about, which is how gorgeous Nepenthe is. Uh, yeah. I think from yeah. the shots of it from space already, it looks like a really cool, like stunning looking planet. But then mm -hmm. you get to the surface and it's basically everybody's dream cabin in the woods kind of scenario. Um, yeah, it is just paradise. Yeah, and I have to shout. I, I should have looked up the director's name, but I have to shout out the direction because the idea that characters are kind of mysteriously in shadow in this sort of almost otherworldly Alice in Wonderland environment, I think, is perfectly in fitting with the the theme of everything. I think of when they're walking to the lake, and it's just so gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. It, he captures the, or he or she, I should say, because it may end up being a female director, uh, captures yeah. the sort of the way that light bounces off things really well to just give you just, mm -hmm. it's not an Abrams lens flare, it's just that little bit of like glimmer in the corner of your eye that you get on sunny days and stuff. And yes, oh, it's perfect. Gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, I did like, again, on a geek level, apologies, I do drop these in now and then. I liked the reference to um, Picard having an artificial heart because it feeds yes. back to the next generation. <laughs> so, I like that too. Yeah. And I like that he knew Castro right away. Yes, absolutely. And he just wasn't, uh, he wasn't like wary of her at all. Because that is right. a huge moment for the captain. We just reviewed an episode one encounter at Farpoint. And you get that moment with Picard saying he's not a family man and he's awkward around children. And yeah. uh, it's such a counterpoint to that when he first meets Kestra and he's immediately on her level. And he yeah. talks to her like just a normal person. And he's not like, what are you doing there? Grumpy or whatever. Right, and, right. Um, right. It, it's such a huge way to, when you watch these things back to back, it's like, wow, that's character development is what that is right there. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I do like, this is perhaps going to feed into some other things rather than be strictly chronological, but I do like throughout the episode how good the idea plot-wise is that Soji isn't sure of anything because uh, she thinks it could all be mind games um, and how well uh, Issa Brionis plays that as well. Um, so throughout, she's like, she's, she's, because she's just been through everything, as I said, that she, we've had in the previous episodes with Narek and, uh, and what have you. I love that she has that awkwardness and that kind of wariness at first that yeah. she has to, yeah. because she's so distrustful. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it is as well so jarring to us as an audience because we see Riker and Troy and we're immediately 
off our guard and we're like, oh, everything is fine. This is safe. This is lovely. And to have that exact counterpoint in a character that's like, I don't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, even from that moment that uh, that Kestra says, oh, you're an android. And there's just that shock in her face. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that's fantastic. It was so good to to do it that way instead of, you know, Picard saying, by the way, you're an android. You know, it was just it was so innocent. Yeah. Um, And it was it was just purely just because he was talking about data. So it was like in conversation. It wasn't dropped and yet as you say she even says herself until she heard the word android she was clinging to the idea she was human um, right but, uh, right exactly yeah. i think that's brilliant that was beautifully done it is very and I, I like the way this episode handles exposition like that as well because again it's just mm-hmm. nothing but when she says that oh well that means nothing's real none of my memories my family and picard says no no your sister was real but i'm really sorry she's you know she's no longer with us i tried um and it's like that could have been an exposition dump but just making it part of that conversation i think right. uh, keeps you up right. to speed <laughs> yep yep um, without taking you out of the plot absolutely yeah yep. and uh, related to what i was saying about kind of um Soji feeling a little bit nervous and, and wary of everything. It's skipping a little bit ahead, but probably my favorite scene of the episode is when Picard, I guess, almost mocks the idea that this could all be an elaborate ruse and kind of says, oh, oh yes, we're here to do this. And then she slaps him or pushes him away, sorry. Um, and yeah. I just remember there's multiple glorious lines in the episode, but I remember Troy just saying, I probably shouldn't say this as a counselor, but you had that coming. <laughs> yeah, yep, I love that. I love I, that. I love the way it shows their closeness of their relationship that she's able to to kind of call him out on his BS, I guess. And yep. that um, when when she does that and he's kind of shocked, she immediately says, again, just glorious writing when she's like, look, the idea to you that this is all some kind of elaborate ruse is ludicrous, but to her it would be more of the same. And you've got to give yourself that level effectively of empathy, which is what, to me, Star Trek is at its core. Yes. Um, and to have the character who basically her entire character is empathy you know she's an empath she reads emotions to have her be the one that educates Picard about try to put yourself in her shoes for a moment and stop being you know such a, a, a jerk I guess it um is is a glorious use of that character and just brilliant writing for me exactly exactly yep I love it yeah <laughs> uh, so I, that was a little bit ahead but going back to where we were we get introduced to Deanna uh, for the first time <clears throat> excuse me before we see uh Riker and I did make a note that Deanna's in blue, which I think personally is probably a bit deliberate. <laughs> um, you too, uh, yeah. yeah. I noticed that right away. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I love that she immediately hugs Picard and without saying a word just says, oh, you're in trouble, how bad? And it's just, it's, it's <laughs> almost like th- there's almost wordless communication. And I did make a note that as well as having felt that about the characters, you can absolutely feel the connection, I think, between the actors as well. Um, yes. And that's something that can't be fake. So they were very lucky, I think, to get, uh, yeah. not that they would have refused, but to get Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis in to do that because that does 50% of your work for you, really. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking that very thing when I watched it last night. I thought, I love this, not just for the for the reunion of the characters, but for the reunion of the actors. Absolutely. You know, that's huge. Yeah. That's cool. But I, again, talking about the direction, I love the way Riker is revealed kind of slowly in little mm-hmm. close-ups and then blurrily, and it's kind of, it's almost a hero reveal for him as well. Um, yeah. And I did say as well that I thought, like, this is again repetitive, but I think the house, the actual cabin they live in is a great yeah. set. 
because again, I just want to live that. <laughs> it seems awesome. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. And now we're coming up to my two favorite parts of this episode. My the two best moments when Picard walks in and Riker goes to hug him. That is yes. such a huge moment for me. And then in the next moment, when Riker says shields up, we've been waiting 27 years to hear that. And it <laughs> yes. gave me goosebumps when I heard it. I loved it. Yes. Loved it. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I do like as well that there are references throughout the episode before we learn what happened to Thad, uh, to Thaddeus Riker. So it starts here and it's dropped a few times before we learn that obviously tragically he, he passed away. Um, and it was something that could have been cured if there were still androids around which feeds it into the picard story um right it's it's a slight bugbear for me and i do remember seeing uh, a particularly nasty person on twitter who didn't like the episode because he said that well striker and troy would go be above and beyond to make sure they could find a positronic brain to save their son and whatever else but mm -hmm. i do think that kind of underplays the difficulty of, of exactly how you would be doing that and the you know the obstacles that they face in right in, that are in place and that's the whole point i guess of the episode right. um but yeah I do well, kind if you of... think of the aftermath i mean this is kind of referencing um uh children of mars but if you think of the aftermath of what happened on um utopia planitia yeah. of course there would be you know it would be very very difficult to find any kind of positronic matrix after that yeah well that's the thing i think you, you, you kind of you see these things in in real terms rather than the metaphor in universe and i think if you think of it as the nature of what happened is such that the positronic brains are seen as such a huge weapon it would be like saying to one of us oh your son could have been saved if you'd only grabbed some nuclear plutonium or whatever and it's like yeah i'm sure he probably could have but it's not something i can just walk down the street and grab exactly exactly <laughs> yep. but yeah um yeah. so I, I didn't mind that except that obviously i was really sad to hear about the death of, of uh, that Riker. Um, but mm -hmm. I love, love, love that even though he's a character we've never seen, his presence is literally all over the episode through the um, the false kind of made up languages and his relationship, the, the kind of um, the tragic way that Troy kind of says she's not as brave as she used to be because if anything happens to Kestra, she's all she's got left. And um, the way that Kestra kind of, you can see she's, she's a lovely, lovely girl, but she really just longs for... The companionship of somebody her own age i guess that yeah. she now misses from her brother and again that's an actress the actress who plays kestra who again i should have looked up and didn't but she does an exceptional job without seeing any of these things or getting big preachy monologues and just portraying exactly yeah. how in pain kestra is i think yeah. um yeah. and yeah she's just amazing and i hope we get to see all of this family again um, oh, I, hope so they're great. I hope so too i love the fact that um the names that Riker and Troy gave their kids are references to stuff that we know from Star Trek as big geeks yes. as well. So um, we know that Thad Riker is probably named for Thaddeus Riker, uh, Riker's ancestor who fought in, is it the American War of Independence or the Civil War or something? Uh, <laughs> I that, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and obviously Kestra is named for Sister. Troy Lost. Yeah. yeah. So again, yeah. that's such a nice, sweet touch that never addressed in the episode. Not a huge right. deal if you don't know it, but if you have seen the show, it adds that extra layer, I think, to it of like, oh. Exactly, yep. <laughs> love it. So, yeah. And I just love the way that um, Estra has banter with her parents as well, because they just seem like very much a lived-in family when, like, we've, we've I, I don't know if you've had much experience with kids running around and stuff, but the way that they kind of answer you back cheekily, so that one little scene when Riker says, did you take the venom sacks out? And she sarcastically responds.
It's like, no, I left them in so that we can all pew black violin. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's literally, that is exactly how a young girl or a teenager would yes. respond. <laughs> and her sitting at the table on her cell phone. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a teenager. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I also, I also just love that um, Kestra's awe of of Soji as well. That she absolutely thinks she's amazing, and she, but yeah. she's she's completely aware of her on an emotional level. It's not just like you're some of the greatest technology. There is that, but then she's like, "Don't be sad, don't cry. I think you're you're awesome. You're incredible," um, yeah. which says a lot about all of I think the characters involved. In terms of, I'm probably going to do this a lot, but in terms of shouting out sort of great usage of of writing and and things to convey stuff, I just absolutely love that. Um, Troy talks about how Kestra is really hurting, but she kind of gets better more and more each day uh, about the loss of her brother. So it aches slightly less. And then Picard points out that her forgetting him more and more must be a different kind of pain for Troy. Yes. And I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, in terms of lines that hit, because we know these characters, um, mm -hmm. Troy saying, you know, if anything happens to her, I'm not as brave as I used to be, Jean-Luc and Picard replying, then you're getting wiser is yeah. just perfect. I just love beautiful. it. Beautiful. Beautiful. So yeah. well written. This whole episode is just so well written. I absolutely agree. Um on a slightly less positive note to just to uh to, lest anybody think I'm just a total sycophant. I have to say I hate Lacerena. I just do not like the design of it at all. Um when it oh, comes up <laughs> Yeah. When it comes up at this point in the episode, I, well I don't like any of the characters that I don't like the ship, so it just feels intrusive. Because it cuts to the Serena here, and I'm like, oh, good lord, I'd rather just stay on the Penthe, to be honest. So that's so funny because honestly, I look at the La Serena as um, it's just it's a function. Mm. You know, it's like when you go someplace and someone has a metal folding chair instead of a nice chair. It right. does what it's meant to do, but it's ugly. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't. I just don't like that it design looks nothing like anything from Star Trek. Like I get yeah. that it's not it's not going to be a Starfleet ship, and I'm fine with that. But to right. design something that's so it looks like it's coming from another universe, like it's from an old video game or a different sci-fi <laughs> franchise. So it's like we've seen freighters and things in the Star Trek universe before, and they don't look like that. Do you know what I mean? So, mm, yeah. And, uh, but that's again, it's a niggle and it's a nitpick, and it's not like this makes the show <laughs> terrible. But it's just yeah. For somebody who connects so much with ships, I think the fact that whenever we see the hero ship, my reaction isn't so much, ah, it's more like, ugh, this yeah. again. <laughs> I understand. I understand. And honestly, I think it's, I I think that was almost intentional. I think it's meant ah, to just look functional rather than, yeah. you know, it's not supposed to, we're not supposed to fall in love with that ship. No. Well, yeah, fair enough, I guess. But, um... <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just speculating. No, I guess that would make sense because the whole point is that we are divorced from Starfleet more and more. And again, right. if they're doing, if they're doing something Discovery esque, which is like we start out so distant and then gradually work our way back to Starfleet, yes. then fair enough, you and would I have. Wonder, the same... I wonder if that's what they're going to do here too. I kind of hope so, and I'm starting to see hints that that might be because I'm seeing lots of hints of like what looks like a new ship for the second season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've heard apologies, that. Apologies, yeah. uh, apologies to anybody who loves La Serena if you really do love the design, but I really do hope they get a new ship because oh, it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Allison Pill is fantastic in this scene. 
Mm. I love her. She's just like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Let's go. I want to go home. We're, yeah. we're finished. We're finished here. Let's just go. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I, I love her. I, as a counterpoint to that, I do think she's like that a lot throughout the episode, but in this particular scene, I just found it more confusing and annoying. I think because I oh. just, I just come off that kind of powerful scenes on Nepenthe and stuff. And I was just yes. like, oh, this is just annoying. She's just, <laughs> just like, let's go home, let's go home, let's go home. Do we even want to rescue Picard? And I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and shut I up think and that was, I think that was the point. People yeah. were supposed to be mad at her. Instead, I'm the one who goes, oh, she's fantastic. Look how cute she is. Oh, yeah. At times I get that, absolutely. And later on in this episode, even, I think it's very much like that. But, and yeah. I, just the- I love Rafi's reaction to her. You know, when she says, I remember you. On our yeah. first time, when you were in your little blue coat, yes, you were so excited, you know. And I just, I love Rafi's kind of motherly attention to her. I love it, mm. love it. Yeah, I don't love the character of Rafi in general, but I do like this particular scene when it ends with her. Again, it's because I like a little bit of levity and a bit of humor. So with her saying, "Auntie Rafi will take care of you. I've got what you need. Is it cake? You bet it's cake." <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the kind of. If we had more moments like this with these characters instead of constant arguing, that would be really helpful, you know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we get back to Nepenthe after that, and we meet Pizza Chef Riker, uh, who gives us the fantastically deep line: "It would be great if ignorance of danger kept it away from people we love." <laughs> again these, these are throwaway lines in an episode yet they're brilliant they could make an episode within themselves almost um yeah yeah so uh i like as well this again talking of the levity and stuff when um they, they referenced to Riker that he had previously said that picard was the greatest captain ever and Riker's response is well i must have been drinking at the time <laughs> <laughs> where did you hear that yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> I also, again, I've made a note of it here, but it happens throughout. I love that they call out that um, uh, Soji has the same little head tilt as Data and that Riker yes. immediately recognizes it, which is just so yes. good. Yeah, uh, that's that's one of my favorite scenes there is when Riker says, okay, I'm just going to tell you what I'm thinking. And yeah. you don't have to say yes or no. And he knows yes. it all. He knows every single little thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I do I love mean, it. It's, uh, it's Riker who calls out the main point, which is, yeah, your classic, you know, Jean-Luc Picard, arrogant, striding out here, but you're dealing with a teenager now, and that's very different. Uh, yes. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. I love and, that, that Riker just knows Picard so well. Absolutely, yeah. They they just they, like you said, they just bond on, on that level and they know each other. And I love that it's a little thing, but I love that Riker's still defensive of Picard, even against his wife, which some people yes. might find annoying, but I love that when Troy quite rightly says you had that coming when he gets pushed, Riker's response is to snap at her like Inzari, what do you what do you say? Because I'm like, <laughs> Of course, of course he's loyal to Picard, you know, and uh, yeah. he, he kind of is like he would never say something like that, even though she's exactly right. <laughs> Um, right right yeah even if he was thinking then yeah yes exactly yeah uh talking of that particular scene because that's the kind of scene we're at now i just think without getting too far into it because we'd be here just replaying it over and over but i love the idea of kind of the joy of real tomatoes and whether real is Mm, better and the idea of that as a metaphor and i love that marina certis basically gets given pure exposition yet turns it into probably my favorite scene in the episode because she's so good with it it's beautiful. Yeah. And then when Soji says to her, the fact that you're being so nice to me right now makes me trust you less. 
Yes. I loved that. I loved that. Absolutely. That's just, that's some pure raw emotion right there. And that was so good. Yes, I love this entire scene, like I said, start to finish. So it starts with Troy and uh, Soji and, and Kestra, then like uh, Picard getting pushed and Troy telling him he had it coming. Uh, yep. And then I think it's Riker who says, the reason you're out here is that you need to be Jean-Luc Picard. You need to be compassionate, fair enough, patient, but you need to be useful. Um, yep. And yep. he says like the only way that he knows how to talk to Picard on his level, so he says, you just pretend our dining room is the Enterprise ready room. Which yep, I just I was that. like, oh, that's so awesome of somebody yep, who, I love that. you know, you've watched seven years of them discussing things in that ready room so that it, it right. sounds silly, but you hear that and you're like, oh, wow, that's yep. so good. Um, we're back on we're back on the Enterprise D. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Ori, I suppose, in theory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, quickly, we'll get to the next bit, which is kind of on the artifact, and that's that... Um, uh, Q apparently violates the treaty uh, in the eyes of, is it Nerissa? Yeah, Nerissa and Narek, because they're brother and sister. Yes. So yeah. of course they have similar names. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I like that she kind of, um, she, she's an a ominous presence in these scenes and she's clearly going to kill him, but we effectively get a Zat Vash versus Kuat Malot fight and yes. they call that out. And I was like, for all the crap that I do give Picard quite a lot of the time, you've got to credit its world building that these this is a fight between two groups of Romulans that didn't exist before Picard started. And yet I'm able to watch it and be like, oh, which of these two is the toughest? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I, that never even occurred to me. Really? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've already wow. called it out. But again, Hugh's, Hugh's death is sad. It's kind of, it's another bugbear I have because I didn't think it was strictly necessary. But I do love yeah. his last his last words effectively being, how's this for a lost cause and sending yeah. Elnor on his path. Uh, going forward so yeah yeah um, and Elnor's fear I mean you can see his real fear mm. you know during that fight and then when he reaches for the for the little call button for yes to call seven of nine <laughs> and there's ranger yeah it's he just has just this amazing fear in his eyes that you just you don't expect from a Kuatmalat I see. I, I see that. I can see what you're saying, but I also see a, a level of determination and kind of heroism in there um, yes. that I think I think we need from, like I said, a crew that does nothing but bicker and doesn't want to be there. I think a character who's like hopeless cause might die. Don't care. Gonna go for it. Which I guess yeah. feeds into <laughs> I guess feeds into your like his character is basically Worf because that is effectively his today is a good day to die, really, isn't it? You know. <laughs> so maybe it's less fear and more sadness. You know, I, I think it's it's determination and kind of, I guess, resignation would be the word I would use, because yeah, it's like, well, yeah, you know, yeah. I can't not do this. It's entirely my, you know, right. my raison d'etre, I guess. So, right, you know. right. <laughs> um, anyhow, the next scene, of course, is back on the La Serena, where I have to say, this is such a minor niggle, but I'm really not a fan of um, Rafi smoking, whatever that weed stuff is throughout oh, the yeah. series. <laughs> I hate that so much. It just jars me horribly. <laughs> um, but yeah. I do. Well, I live in Colorado and it's all over the place here. Oh. So <laughs> I didn't notice. Fair enough. Um, but I will say that, again, contrary to what I said earlier, I think from this point on, Alison Pill is outstanding. So everything uh. from the kind of vomiting to the fact that she looks guilty when she senses that Narek is picking up what's clearly her tracker. Um, yep. 
to yep. like her clearly like wanting to almost poison herself to get it out of her and um, again, I don't love that you, you effectively still have to have that moment of conflict with Rios kind of suspecting Rafi, which feels like it's artificially forced tension to me. Um, but I think these scenes are, in particular are saved by Jurati just being absolutely heartbreaking throughout. So, yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, again, I like that they point out it feels a lie for Picard to have a mission and that every time that comes up in the episode, the Picard theme or the next-gen theme always plays with the music as a little light motif. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's cool. I love that the theme throughout is to try to find a home, but that ultimately that's not something that Picard will ever do because he needs a mission rather than a home, uh, which I think is, again, it's not explicitly stated, but it is effectively the subtext. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, and I I will say again, this is possibly going to sound a little bit mean, but um, when the crew have come to rescue Picard and Riker asks what his new crew are like, and Picard says they're decidedly motley, uh, there's, <laughs> there's nothing but drama and they all have a lot more baggage than all of you ever did. And I've just made the note in big capitals. Exactly. So if the writers are aware of this, stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's on purpose. <laughs> but it's not what we, maybe it's just me, but it's not what I come into Star Trek to see as a bunch of people bickering with each other. Right, like, right. You yeah. don't come to the drama, but I, I think it's a nice touch. I think it's a nice okay. touch because it feels very family to me, you know? Especially yeah. with my family. I know it's exactly... Okay. <laughs> I see what you're saying. It's nice that uh, they, they kind of seed what happens at the end of the series by uh, making a point of Riker seeing in throwaway dialogue that he's still on active reserve, but he'd have to have a very good reason to yes. get back on the ship. I was like, yeah, yes. we knew as soon as we heard that exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and again, this is, a, this is such a geeky deep dive for me, but just go with me on this one. Uh, when Riker says to Picard that he had no business retiring, it truly reminded me of Star Trek Generations, um, especially because they were in like a nice field and type area as well. And mm-hmm. I was like, John, this is exactly what Kirk told you. Why didn't you yeah. listen to him? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, and again, I just love, again, a little bit of dialogue. Thank you, Will, for so many things, but today for not trying to talk me out of this. And uh, Riker saying, oh, I, I know that that would be foolish. Yeah, just uh, we we go in fully to the next-gen theme to finish the episode while uh, we get a, a broken compass given to Picard by Kestra. It's a nice little touch. So, mm, yeah. Beautiful. Um, so the next section is something that I do here on the podcast, and it's a section that I call Gene's Vision, uh, which is how... <laughs> How the episode fits into the mighty ideology of Trek that we hear so much about, uh, because it's something that's never really been defined, but if we can try to do it on the podcast, why not? Um, So I always try to look for things, because even things that I dislike or things that people say go against Star Trek, I find have a lot of moments that I would say don't and and fit into that ideology. Um, So do you have anything that you think would uh, fit that from this episode? You know, I don't have any thoughts immediately. Why don't you go ahead? Okay. Uh, well, I said um, one of the things for me immediately was Elnor at the start of the episode being, in the crew's words, crazy, but then adding Anne Brave uh, and his general kind of willingness to help and even have a, a lost cause. I think that that fits in that Trek ideology really well. Um, mm-hmm. Little moments like Kestra being a self-confessed pacifist. Uh, it's, uh, again, throwaway, but I think it's important. Uh, obviously, the emotional connection between characters and actors we've already talked about. Um, the idea that Troy is the personification of empathy and Will is all about revering his previous captain, even if he claims it's, uh, it, it's not what he does. Um, the idea of the nature of humanity via Soji through data is something that's been going on, I think, in Star Trek from day one. Um, yeah. 
uh, I think the fact that ultimately the episode is about trust is something that fits into that idea that trust is key. Uh, and so are things like home, belonging, and general being. Uh, mm. And again, as much as I, I said already, I don't really like the character of Rafi. I think the, the touch of her seeing that she feels like a wreckage of a good person that can be rigged up in an emergency, uh, I think is a summation of a lot of great actual Star Trek characters from the past mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you think about it. Uh, and yeah. again, I've touched on it, but the, the idea that's been going on since Star Trek Generations and well before that, you know, the, the glorious captain needs to be out on a mission and be useful, uh, yeah. I think yeah. is, it, it's noble and it's very Gene Roddenberry-esque, I think, for me as well. So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what I would say. Um, so did you have any anything else I might have missed? Or you think that was? Yeah, I think the other thing is just um, finding the humanity in each other. Yes. You know, yeah. I think that's I think that's a huge thing is finding common ground. Yes, and again, celebrating difference because Kestra's response to Soji isn't "Arg, you're so different, you might be a threat." It's "Wow, you're amazing," which is quite telling yeah. as well. Um, because it's, it's the villains of Caesar Monif Picard, the Romulans, who are like, we fear these things, what are they? And every time a kind of Starfleet officer or a human character sees them, they're like, oh, wow, you're incredible. You look so human and you can do so much. Right, so, right. Yeah. Anyway, yep. Yep. <laughs> so what um, what I do to finish off the review section then, uh, just before we go to the end, uh, is to give a brief conclusion and then give a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Okay. <laughs> give. Um, so I'll let my guest go first, always. So did you have a conclusion and your score out of five, please? Um, I guess my conclusion in this one would be, um, I love that they brought back characters that we already know and love because mm. it gave us a, another connection to, to Picard, to the main character, you know, to see him through the eyes of the people that we already know and love. Um, I think, um, I don't know. I, there's something just so endearing about those relationships yeah. that make this just a, I think a fan favorite and yes. a favorite of mine. Yep. Awesome. Uh, score out of five Starfleet Deltas then. <laughs> five. Awesome. Definitely five. Awesome. Uh, and I think justifiably for all the reasons you said, um, Again, I, I, I say this every time, but I read my conclusion off from what I've written because it's just it's easier for my brain to not forget anything that way. But yeah. uh, so my conclusion would be it's a very emotionally effective episode that allows Picard to feel like a true sequel to Next Gen for arguably the first time, uh, touching on themes and relationships that go back to the start of that series. The ongoing intrigue is interesting enough, but it's scuppered in retrospect by very underwhelming eventual answers. Uh, likewise, any scene that's not on the Nepenthe just feels intrusive. And in a couple of cases, it's maybe overplayed and superfluous. Um, mm -hmm. the, the Riker family are played to perfection. And I think this elevates uh, Patrick Stewart and Isa Briones' performance as well. Uh, but it jars when we cut elsewhere to frankly poorer performances, with the exception of Alison Pill, who I think does a fantastic job with what she's given. Um, mm -hmm. But I think the episode is ultimately all about connection, whether it's between two Trek series, between the characters, between the elements in a mystery, or getting this audience member to really connect with the show for the first time. Um, this episode is beautifully directed with just enough flourish to impress without detracting from the story. Uh, again, I have to point out just how unbelievably good the scenes on the Penthe are with memorably brilliantly written lines throughout, um, acted to incredible perfection. Uh, maybe that's partly my familiarity and connection with the characters, but they are deserve praise and they gain this episode its status as my favorite of the Picard series so far. And I would give it four stars out of five. Excellent. Um, Excellent. So that, 
gives us an average for the podcast, uh, a final score of 4.5 out of 5, which I think is a very good score. And I think that gives Picard the joint second place on the leaderboard. <laughs> I will move us to the uh, the next section, for, uh, and that's the section that I call subspace communications, or to put it in non-geeky terms, just audience interaction, basically. Uh, so I always put out a tweet, as you probably have seen, or a, a message asking just what the general audience, the people that follow me on the internet and stuff, think of the episode. Uh, and I put out a general message for what did people think of Picard. Um, the first one is from a Star Trek Discord uh, server that I've just joined. And it's from uh, someone called Julian Has the Con. Uh, and he says, as someone who really didn't like Picard as a whole, Nepenthe is my favorite episode of the season. The series needed more of this in season one. Q's demise was unwarranted and pointless. My favorite part was Riker's daughter, Kestra, as well as Riker being able to read Picard, which I think is all pretty fair. Um, yeah, I think my thoughts were quite similar to, uh, to Julian's on that one. Chris at Shelf Nerds, who's joining us next week, uh, says, I loved it. It covers so much ground at a comfortable pace. It's one of Deanna's best episodes. Uh, at Finian Burnett says, I loved it. Love the obvious abiding love between the characters. Love the way it looks as if they're living an idyllic life in the woods and then shields up. I really loved everything about it. Awesome. Uh, at Earl Prime Senior One says, I loved all of it. No distractions. The storyline fit perfectly. Okay. Uh, Theo.buntspect says, definitely the best reunion, Riker and Troy with Picard. It's truly the heart and soul of the show, along with Seven of Nine and Data. I hope for more TNG crew reappearing in the next season in 2022. I think we all agree with that, don't we? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, at I Sakara says, I wish they hadn't killed Hugh. That's my biggest regret. He could have been part of the crew when I'm sad he's dead, which, yeah, fair enough. At GMSD0101 says, Picard and Discovery could both use more of these type of side story episodes. It fit in the plot of the season, but so allowed the show to breathe a bit. Okay. Um, yes, at, I agree. Yeah. At Chad Farmer Davy2 says, it's one of my favorite episodes of all of Trek. Short and to the point. Uh, speaking of which, at OG Trekker Rob simply has a two word review, my fave. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it remains for me now to say thank you so much for joining me, Julianne, and indulging me. And uh, it's been really nice getting to talk to you and uh, discuss Trek as it has been with every guest I've had. So, uh, thank yeah. you so much for having me on. It's been great. That's no problem. And uh, yeah, so did you have any, um, would you like to leave sort of social media information or anything where people can get in touch or, or not? No, I'm just on Twitter. I'm I'm on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> That's fair enough. No problem. Yeah. Uh, not problem at all. Well, as I say, uh, you can find me at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter or the podcast at H O M Trek or at Hom Trek, like Mister Hom. Uh, yeah, join us next week where I will be joined by two guests uh, and we will be reviewing uh, two short tracks, uh, and that is the episodes Q and A and Ask Not, along with a probably longer hit or this section, and obviously twice the discussion of what got people into Star Trek. So, yeah, awesome. Thanks again, Julianne. And uh... Until next time, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. <laughs>